0: Welcome to Writing It, a podcast by Ed Adams. The Square, episode 13, a novel by Ed Adams. The Market Porter. Jake arrived first at the pub in London's Borough Market. He grabbed a cab from outside the office and it had only taken about 15 minutes to thread through the traffic to just south of the river. Around him there were many other Londoners standing, chatting animatedly and occasionally returning to the bar for more drinks. Jake wasn't a fan of the plastic beakers used when standing outside the pub, but still preferred this lively view to sitting inside with a proper glass but a less interesting vista. Jake had also realised that he'd spent the whole day without eating anything and now noticed the sausage shop next door to the pub. And was mulling over whether to spend the equivalent of a pint on a gourmet bat filled with the posh sausages on offer it was at this moment that christina and claire arrived together jake had known claire much longer than christina and had originally met christina when claire used to want to support her at various small gigs sprinkled around london originally christina had been a well-traveled singer with an acoustic guitar but had later adapted to a more commercial dance style of music, which had also been the basis of her modestly successful CDs and iTunes track downloads. Christina was also adept at creating appearances, which could range from stunningly eye-catching to being able to blend into the scenery to avoid attracting attention. Today, Christina was out with her friend Claire, and the two of them were dressed to a matching level and would certainly turn heads, but not attract the wrong kind of attention whilst they walked through the market. Would you like a drink? asked Jake or shall we find somewhere where we can sit down? The venue was a great place to wait for one another, but wasn't the best location for a private conversation about what had been happening. Let's go around the corner, suggested Claire. There was a nearby exit from the market area, and this led on to a busy main road. Just around the corner was a doorway and some stairs leading down to a subterranean wine bar. This will do fine, said Christina. It's quite enough for me to be able to tell you what has happened and to ask for your advice. They traversed the stairs into the wine bar. It looked as if it had been constructed in a cellar and there was a neat looking bar area with a couple of people standing waiting to serve them. Shall I have bottle? asked Claire. The others nodded and Claire requested a bottle of white wine and three glasses. They selected a table and Jake started to pour the wine. Tell all, said Jake to Christina, just what are you getting yourself into? Christina explained about the possibility of the gig, the meeting with the Italians and a slightly strange way that the venue and conditions had been specified. ''Perhaps it's the Mafia,'' said Jake. There was a pause, and then he could see that the joke was slightly backfiring. Uh, ''I'm joking, you know.'' Christina looked at Claire, and they both smiled. Jake realised he'd just been outmanoeuvred. ''I forgot,'' said Jake. ''When you two are together, I don't stand a chance if I want to wind you both up.'' ''Right,'' said Claire, laughing. ''You know when you are outclassed.'' Christina also smiled. ''I did initially start to wonder things like that myself,'' she admitted. The original arrangements for us to meet were straightforward enough, and the plan was for Claire to also be at the meeting. It was only a last-minute thing that meant I had to go alone. I'm sure my imagination has just been working over time. Jake agreed. Christina had been asked to perform a music concert at an attractive venue. The guests were to be personally invited by the Italian organisers, and there would not be any public admission. Disappointed, Jake didn't think there was anything suspicious after all. So where is the gig and how much did you get, he asked, as a prelude to changing the subject. Christina's reply made him change his mind. What, he exclaimed, that is a lot of money for a private show and to such a large group too. They must really like you a lot. Precisely, replied Christina. Now do you see my point? Jake, Christina and Claire had continued to work their way through the bottle of wine. Claire and Christina had pretty much decided to accept the deal with Annalise and the Italians and Claire was to call them first thing in the morning. If needed, Claire would dispatch paperwork and contracts for the gig by Christina. The three of them could not decide if this was really something suspicious about the requested performance. The money on offer for Christina to perform was probably three times as much as Christina's wildest expectation, to the point where Christina and Claire somehow wondered if the whole thing had been a hoax. Jake knew, however, from his journalism work that there were plenty of examples of people from the pop industry being offered everything from advanced copies of new materials through to petty theft by musicians of tunes and riffs to unusual methods to hyper record or a group to the top of the charts. He supposed that the angle on Christina was something like this, although he couldn't quite work out how the scam was operating. Don't sign anything without reading it properly first, he offered as a rather obvious piece of advice. Christina and Claire stifled grins, both aware that there was still something unusual about the gig planned for Birmingham. CARSON'S MEETINGS Colonel Carson was being given an ultimatum. He wanted to stay in his senior role and was now being told that the situation was a matter of homeland security. Carson was loyal, so it was inconceivable that he would not follow the order, In case, or in this case, the request. We need to top and tail the travel arrangement. Terrorists can gain an upper hand in the United States if we don't do something about it. Our citizens are becoming disaffected with the ever-increasing level of threats to the United States. We're now squeezing the various air travel trips because of the heightened security, plus eco concerns. Carson had been involved with some tough and some covert situations, but he wondered here what he was being asked to do. We want you to help us to turn the opinion around, continued another suited man. He had not seen him before and considered it was probably a civilian advisor to the government. What are you asking? quizzed Carson. We need to create a change of focus, continued the advisor. It involves moving the emphasis from North America. We're seen by most of the Middle East as the enemy, and there is little sympathy for anything we do to try to support or improve anything in the Middle East countries. We need the next wave of terror attacks to be elsewhere. Somewhere in Europe is the preferred location. This will give the USA a chance to clear its portfolio and for any next round of countermeasures to be led from another base. America first, remember. The United States is having too many problems at the moment. Most of our electorate want our people back home, not stuck in a desert somewhere. At home, there's marriage or paranoia associated with possible further terrorist attacks, and there is a real risk that another big thing could happen. Even when the White House opens its mouth or tweets something, there's a risk of ripples from around the globe. We are getting too much of the wrong kind of attention. That's why we need for something bad originated from an identifiable hotspot but deployed in, say, London or Paris – there will be a forced acceleration of their involvement in retaliation, and the focus will inevitably shift to those areas where the most damage has occurred. Carson was taken aback. He'd been asked to do some pretty covert missions in the past, but usually involving unstable regimes that just needed a small push to tip them into some form of junta or major change. This was different. He was being asked to devise a way to shift terrorist activity away from the United States by creating activities in another country. He was also being, in effect, asked to incite a declaration of war from those other countries against the Middle East. This was like starting World War III. I'm not sure about this, ventured Carson. I've had to do some pretty big things in my time, but this is huge. We thought that might be your reaction, said the suited advisor. We've worked out the main plan, and let me assure you that your part in this will be strongly acknowledged. I don't mean gallantry medals or anything that leads back to you in a dangerous way. But let's just say we have a very large budget for this assignment, and its leader will be rewarded in a way that means they won't need employment after this and can live very well indeed. Carson considered. If he said no, but already knew what this was about, then he would be in some danger anyway. If he said yes, he would need to take his chances during the mission and needed to find a way to disappear with whatever was on offer at the end of the mission." Count me in, he said decisively, but you will need to explain to me in more detail what we are supposed to do. The advisor introduced himself more fully. I am Deputy Chief of Staff Brendan Killane, advisor to the US Armed Forces and to the President. There are several people like me who operate in a special capacity in times of extreme difficulty. We are always around, but the nature of our office is kept rather quiet. Carson was aware of this from a similar experience on a more minor scale when he'd been asked to do something in Sudan a few years ago. He'd been involved with an operation which required a silent entry and exit from the country, along with the extraction of one key individual. The circumstances were that the whole mission had to be accomplished without any media or military attention. He'd worked with a small team of freelancers, and for that and the whole mission had run very smoothly. He had been given a briefing by the advisor on that occasion and was somewhat amazed at the diplomatic and clandestine tricks which were smoothly pulled in order to make the whole operation successful. This would be another situation like Sudan, only on a much larger scale and potentially disadvantaging some of the European superpowers. He was still somewhat shocked by this, but knew that total commitment to the plan was his only real option. So, explain the mission, asked Carson. Kalein continued... We intend to divert attention from the USA as a consequence of a major terrorist attack in mainland Europe. Rest assured that the terrorists are planning to do this anyway. The effect will be to galvanise the countries affected to strong and decisive action, to put down the attackers and to take control of the country harbouring the terrorists. The impact on the USA will be to deflect much of the current attention away, both in terms of terrorism and also in terms of our contribution to the war efforts in the Middle East. Our current action is becoming unpopular with the citizen electorate and also our military support is extremely expensive, far beyond our original estimates. The other economic support industries are still working well, so a reduction in our overall level of arms will help redress the overall balance well. If the British and Germans take a stronger interest in the region, then that would help this economic rebalance. Your role is to ensure that a plot already in progress is deflected from US shores. We've picked up intelligence that the Al-Aktar organisation who have been busy recently and have gained access to some nerve agent which originated from Israeli testing. Al-Aktar are stealing the nerve agent and are are intending to use it in some attacks dependent upon the highest bidder. There will be some kind of decoy attack and we believe this will be a rocket attack into an airport or similar and that this will create a diversion while their main attack was run. We can ensure that the resultant news coverage is suitably pointed and that it will deflect away from the United States. What, asked Carson? Manipulation of the news? We want to ensure you that Al-Aktar are discouraged from thoughts of using this in any of the homeland territories. If anything is going to happen, it needs to be elsewhere. We think that they will also have a decoy operation. Both need to be managed. But what about the nerve gas? Won't it be so lethal that it breaks all the conventions of war, asked Carson? Yes, the nerve gas is very strong, but there are some aspects of the way it will be deployed which will keep us in control. We don't know why they're doing this at the moment. It could be ideology, but it seems to be driven by some other financing, which we've not yet managed to unscramble. This looks like a case of giving a weapon to someone prepared to use it indiscriminately. He said they can't afford it, but someone else is paying the bills. Shouldn't we just alert everyone to try to stop it? We could do that, but the likelihood is that the terrorists would simply turn attention back to the United States. At the moment, we have a confidence that we can run faster than anyone else from the pursuing wild animal. Carson nodded. He knew the old story with the punchline. I just have to be faster than you when escaping from a tiger. Who else knows about this? asked Carson. Just us and the president, answered Colleen.